Today's readings are Galatians chapter 2, 8, and 9, and Acts chapter 15, verses 1 through 21. They can be found on pages 1,075 and 1,019 of the Bible's next year seats, as well as on the screen. This is God's word, Galatians 2, 8, and 9. For God, who was at work in Peter as an apostle to the Jews, was also at work in me as an apostle to the Gentiles. James, Cephas, and John, those esteemed as pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the Jews. Certain individuals came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. <coughs> so Paul and Barnabas were appointed along with some other believers to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. The church sent them on their way and as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria they told how the Gentiles had been converted. This news made all the believers very glad. When they came to Jerusalem they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders to whom they reported everything God had done through them. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and elders met to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that we are saved, just as they are. The whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. When they finished, James spoke up. Brothers, he said, listen to me. Simon has described to us how God first intervened to choose a people for his name from the Gentiles. The words of the prophets are in agreement with this. As it is written, after this, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent its ruins I will rebuild, and I will restore it, that the rest of humanity may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord, who does these things. Things known from long ago. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. For the law of Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times and is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. The word of the Lord.
now the millions of people online will be able to hear the podcast. Um, we've been learning about Jesus through other people, and um, we've, we've chosen some interesting characters uh, through the last several weeks. Um, Mary Magdalene, Peter, Mary the mother of Jesus, the woman at the well. So we've been listening. What do we learn about Jesus? What do we find out about Jesus through these other interesting characters? And it has put us in these times each week in a different kind of space where we're, we're kind of journeying along with these different characters rather than just one story or one set of maybe 10 verses out of the Bible. We're kind of taking more of what is this person's life of all that we can know about them and how does that kind of come at us in today's world? So it's a different way. We've been tracking each character and seeing what we can know about, about Jesus through their connection to him. And so it, it's been fun. I've enjoyed it, and it's been really fascinating. I feel like I've been entering into the Bible in a way that I ha- different than I have um, in my entire life through these, looking at these characters. And some of you have, have mentioned things that make me feel like you're probably feeling the same way. Today we look at this character named James, and it's James the brother of Jesus. We just read about this somewhat complicated event that was happening in the early years, about, a, about 11 or 12 years into the period after Jesus ascended, the early church. And the scene is such that so far for about 10 years, Christianity, it wasn't really called that, but Christians and followers of Jesus were those around the Jerusalem area. They were Jewish. It was entirely Jewish, um, with a few sprinklings of other things. But especially if you lived in Jerusalem or in that area, that's how you thought of it, almost like a subset of Judaism. Like everything else kind of still connected with all the other people around you, but you kind of had a different take on the festivals and the practices. You believe that the Messiah had come, that Jesus was this Messiah, and it really changes a lot of how you view all those things, but you're still in that world of all these kind of outside realities, these rituals, these cultural Jewish things. Now, all of a sudden, what starts to happen is some people like Paul is going out, and, and people who are not Jewish are hearing this message, and they're jumping on board. It's spreading like wildfire. And for them, it's not at all even a thought. They don't think, well, of course the first thing I need to do is go and become Jewish and do all of these rituals that the Jewish people did. They've, they've got this message about Jesus, and, and it's, it's pretty much all about Jesus, and it came out of this Jewish story, but now it's coming out to the whole world, and you can get baptized, and and you can begin to be committed to this gracious Savior Jesus who has forgiven your sins, died on the cross, risen from the dead, and that, you know, this is kind of the heart of it. And you have to understand that at this moment, for these Jewish Christians around Jerusalem, it really is incredibly difficult for them to wrap their minds around the idea that there can be people in this new Jewish Christian thing who aren't tethered to the Jewish practices. Um, And so this becomes a real potential uh, controversy. 
And it needs to be worked out. And so, and, it, and you can tell in this story that what has happened is some people have gone out without the approval of sort of the elders of the Jewish Jerusalem church. And they've gone to the place where the Gentiles are in Antioch, the non-Jewish Christians. And they've started to say, without, really without the stamp of approval of the leaders of the Jerusalem church, they've gone and said, you guys have to be circumcised. That was kind of one of the big markers of your transition into Judaism. And they're saying that still has to be in play, along with other things. It wasn't just circumcision, but that sort of caught everything. That sort of was a, a term that sort of brought everything in to what the expectation was. So this is now a controversy. And people come back to Jerusalem, and they have to sort this out. And they're having apparent, a really important meeting in Jerusalem where the main players are there, the kind of, the, those, those teachers that went without permission, they're there now, but also the Jerusalem Christians are there. And you notice, it says the apostles and the elders were there. It's basically a who's who of the, this 10-year-old Jesus movement is, are in the room. Everybody who has any sense of like credibility and we look up to, and they're all there, and they're going to work this issue out. And so they listen, and, they, and here's Paul, who's, who's no slouch, and his name is quickly growing as someone who's got credibility within this Christian movement. And he's talking about his experience with these non-Jewish people. Then Peter stands up, and he talks about his perspective on all this thing. And it's like, man, the main players have spoken. But then you realize that they're all, basically what this story is showing us is they're all still waiting. They're all still waiting to hear what is James going to say. And whatever he says, that's going to be pretty darn authoritative. In fact, it becomes exactly what gets written into a letter that's sent back, and it becomes exactly what gets codified as the way that they bridge this potentially divisive situation. James the brother of Jesus. And so you say, well, who is this James? What do we know about him? And usually when you want to find out about the people who know Jesus, you go to the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you go in there and you find out all the things that they say about that person and you get a pretty good idea. But James is different. You turn to the Gospels and you find nothing. It's not mentioned. How does this happen? You have, well, you have a couple things that are mentioned where it's probably including him, but it doesn't say his name. And they don't speak well of where James was at during Jesus' ministry. In Mark chapter 3, we have this um, story that includes a couple references to the family. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of Jesus, for they said, he is out of his mind. <laughs> okay? Um, that's when Jesus was gathering crowds early on. And, and then later on in that story, it, it describes more specifically, and it says, Jesus' mother and brothers arrived, and standing outside, they sent someone in to call him. They think he's out of his mind. And you can kind of assume, mother and brothers, that, that we're talking about James. There's one more time where we get a glimpse of Jesus' brothers. In John chapter 7, it starts out this way, and I'll just read about five verses here. After this, Jesus went around in Galilee. He did not want to go about in, in Judea because the Jewish leaders there were looking for a way to kill him. 
But when the Jewish festival of tabernacles was near, Jesus' brothers said to him, Leave Galilee and go to Judea, so that your disciples there may see the works you do. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. The brothers talking to their, you know, this is sibling talk. You know, you're doing it all wrong. Nobody does it like this. So, uh, no one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you are doing these things, show yourself to the world. And then this is the narrative note after, after they say that. This is what, what the writer of John tells us. For even his own brothers did not believe in him. So, pretty good guess that this James is wrapped up in that group. So I want to think about James today as someone that we can all relate to. I want us to think about James as someone who's bringing to this Jesus thing, this Jesus movement, this Jesus person, these Jesus beliefs, that James is bringing to all of it a skepticism. And James is bringing to it, call it a hesitation, loads of hesitation. And I want us to think, as, as we sit here and, and think about James, think about our own hesitations and skepticism that relate to Jesus and the church. I run into a lot of examples in today's world, and you do too, where people have great hesitation and skepticism because really intelligent people in their life have laid out an argument of some sort and it seems pretty foolproof. It seems like there's a bunch of reasons why either religion always goes wrong or Christianity has always gone wrong or that there's several things about the early Christian movement that really aren't what we've been told. And if you dig around, you'll learn this, that, and the other. And so therefore, we all know the whole thing is not credible. And I met a lot of people who have had that as a part of what's bouncing around in their head. And maybe you have some of that too. And I've also met people who, and, and they're more likely the ones to make their way into this place. People who, have, who are carrying wounds and, and hurts and stories about how Jesus' people have not been very kind and have not dealt with their journey very well and have not had their best interests in mind. And some of the stories, you know, have my jaw dropping. And the hurt is real and the pain is real. And so there's hesitation and there's skepticism about the credibility of this whole thing. I want you to think about James as opening up the door to all of us to explore these things, to ask these questions, and to look deep into our own level of openness because what James eventually does do is very interesting. Because then we, we get into the book of Acts. And Jesus is taken up in the ascension, we read in chapter 1. And then we read, They all join together constantly in prayer, along with the women, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Something happens with James. James eventually is joining the group. James eventually is one of the Jesus followers. He's joining them in this important Pentecost moment. If you know some of the story of early Acts, James is there. He's still not mentioned by name at this point, so it's probably pretty early on. And then about 11 or 12 years later, 
when you get to the chapter of 12 in that same book of Acts, you, get, you start to get these references to James that give you a clue that he's become someone quite prominent in the movement. Where uh, Peter has this important story that he's passing on and then he says, tell James and the other brothers and sisters about this. And then he went and left for another place. You get these sort of, these just times where suddenly it's not just Peter and John who were some prominent names, but it's starting to be James and Peter. And, you know, it's starting to be James is right there in the top, if not the only one named in the list. So he's risen in this 11 or 12 years from a place of great hesitation and skepticism to prominent leadership. And then eventually, even 10 or, 10 or 15 years after that, he comes to the point where he's writing a, a, a sort of authority-rich statement. It's something that's just laced with the sense that he has a place to speak to the entire Christian movement. And what he writes becomes our book that we call James. And in that book, he starts out by saying, and remember, he's the brother of Jesus. If you have siblings, I, I want you just to enter into the humanness of this transition, right? You, you know, maybe you even said something to a sibling at once. Well, you're not God, you know, or you're not, you're not the son of God or something like that. You know, I'm being a little humorous here. But I want you to imagine, just imagine the humanness of James getting to the point where he says, where he starts a letter to people in this Jesus movement, people who, who are now worshiping and following his brother. And he says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ. Not my brother, Jesus. You know, sometimes called him Josh, you know. No. The Lord Jesus, the Messiah. Just, I just it blows my mind to enter into that transition. We don't know how it happened. We honestly don't really have any data on that story, it's one of the, one of the um, kind of gaps that I wish, as I've been studying this week, I wish I had some amazing stuff to paint this portrait of how James got there. And I guess it's left for us to fill in the gaps. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. He has made a radical turnaround coming from being this skeptic who, who thought that his brother was just some controversial weirdo. And he comes to be a representative of the movement, in a sense, a sort of captain of the ship now that when they come to their first major crisis as a movement, they all hold their breath until James speaks. And I would say, if you're wondering what happened, the best thing I can come up with, we get a clue from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, uh, verses 3 through 7. If you want my take on what happened with James. It's something that happened to every main player in those first few to 10 years of the Christian movement. And I'll just read this text. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Again, this is 1 Corinthians 15. This is Paul writing this. Not James, it's Paul. But listen to what he says. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, that's Simon Peter, and then to the twelve. 
After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James. Then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. Now we get to talk about Paul still in this sermon series another week. But my theory is this, that he, that James's transition happened because he saw the risen brother Jesus. And that he had to do business once that happened, once he, once he saw his brother die, but then also alive again after he was dead, he had to do business with who was this brother of his, who was Jesus. Who is Jesus? And apparently somewhere in there, James had an openness to exploring that. It's something that we each need to think of ourselves. Are you open? Amidst all the hesitation and skepticism, are you open to exploring? Not just saying, I've been told this, or I heard this, or we all know this. Have you looked into it? Have you read about the early documents of the Christian faith? Have you read about the early evidence of the resurrection? Well, James didn't have to. He, apparently, Jesus appeared to him. How genuinely open are you? Because James does what really, essentially, every Christian has had to do ever since the time of James and the time of Jesus, is once dealing with the evidence in front of him, having to say, who is this Jesus, and what does this mean that he died on this cross, and what does it mean that then he came out of this tomb? What does this all mean? And all of it drives into, who is he? And what does the things he did on the cross and in the empty tomb have to do now with me? James went through those steps where he says, my identity has now received a remaking because of what has been offered to me through this Jesus on my behalf. Every skeptic since James has had to go through those steps. That Jesus is not just some important teacher that was good with people and maybe a little manipulative or whatever the things people hang on to. He's not just another guru or teacher, but that he actually was a risen, as James eventually calls him, Lord. One that you don't just take on as an advisor, but one that you take on to serve. Because you have been rescued into the most joyous servitude that you could ever have. This is what Christians do. Or this is what skeptics really do as they become Christians. And so there's this quote um, in your worship guide about kind of how this is just true of all these early figures and how the resurrection is crucial to it. It says, here we are able to reach a major conclusion of this study. None of these major figures who constituted the inner circle of Jesus would have become or remained followers of Jesus after the crucifixion if there was no resurrection and no resurrection appearances of Jesus. The church, in the persons of its earliest major leaders, was constituted by the event of the resurrection, coupled with the Pentecost event. The stories of these figures, especially their post-Easter story, Easter stories, are the validation of this fact. There would be no church 
without the risen and appearing Jesus. And I continue to marvel, just as we close, I continue to marvel at how still to this day, every year I, I see, whether it's through Twitter or it's in some book, a new story of someone who made that same face-to-face with the evidence journey and came out the other side of it with the same conclusion that James comes with. So I read this week about Abdu Murray, who's described as a recovering critic of Christianity. For the most of his life, Abdu was a proud Muslim and studied the Quran and Islam. But after a nine-year investigation into the historical, philosophical, and scientific underpinnings of the major world religions, he became a follower of Jesus. And this is what he writes. He says, few people, it seems, know the real evidence corroborating the story of Jesus' birth, his life, his death, and resurrection, and how such evidence warrants our belief, or at least compels our consideration. I was once a staunch critic who demanded evidence for Christianity. After nine years of researching, I found the evidence so compelling that I became a Christian. I didn't outgrow my faith in God. I outgrew my cynicism about Christianity. Isn't that an interesting way to put it? I outgrew my cynicism. The evidence works strangely in reverse. The evidence that Jesus rose from the dead implied that his being born of a virgin was mere child's play. My prayer is just that we would all be on that kind of journey, right there with James and right there with Abdul Murray and the hundreds and hundreds and thousands of people who have made that openness journey, that we'd be wrapped up in that as well. Let us pray. Our God of grace, would you give us the gift of your Holy Spirit, which is what Christians pray for. When we want belief to be stronger, when we want um, people who we love to know you like we know you, and when we can't find the answers to things, but we still want to draw close to you, we pray for your Holy Spirit. And we ask that the words of, your, of, of the stories of people, real human people, like your brother James, would continue to inspire us and help us on the journey towards being healed and made whole by your grace through Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.